Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I'm your host, Mike Dierman. I'm here with my friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman, as well as our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. Guys, we got a good episode today. Huge guest. Been trying to get him for a while, since yeah. last summer. Can I guess? <laughs> you, you can guess. Bill Hader. You nailed it. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, today on the show, we have the star of Barry on Crave, both seasons. Bill Hader. This okay, is no, no, not to... Spoil anything, but did you ask him about our encounter in the elevator in your building? I didn't ask you. I didn't ask him about your specific encounter, but I did bring up that him and I were in the same building last summer. Oh, really? Did, did he have nice things to say about your building? Yeah, he said that uh, he that after shooting, they'd always bring them to A and W at four in the morning. Really? On the way home, and I said I've spent a lot of time in that A. <laughs> My brother. <laughs> did we awesome. get this because of all of our talking about him and putting up the posters and stuff like that? I'm gonna guess that we got it because of Sarah McLaren working hard to get it. Yeah. But maybe she heard us on the pod talking about it. And she yeah. was like, oh, I'm actually going to try to make this happen. Well, Max was on her a lot like to like try and get him once we found out. Yeah, the email the just sort of showed up. We're like, hey, you're, you're talking to Bill Hader. I was like, oh, thanks. Yeah, I think she's been working on it a lot. Oh, cool. Yeah, behind the scenes. That's and of course, uh, Barry uh, is a show that's on Crave now. So that's obviously, uh, which also hosts uh, Mike on Much in conversation with. So. Yeah, people got to watch that. Yeah, keep watching it, everybody. Yeah, uh, on that note, also, uh, hit a subscribe if you don't subscribe to this podcast and leave a comment uh, on YouTube and follow us on social media. If you have any questions, we're pretty good at getting back to people, I like to think. So, pod fans, if there's any lingering thoughts, ideas, concerns on your mind, send them over to us. Yeah, speaking of pod fans and getting back to them, listener, Nick. Not Nick from Markel's. Not Nick from Markel's, okay. not the bass player from, from Markel's, but on Instagram uh, and short. Uh, he'd written a nice uh, note about how much uh, he liked listening to us talk about the Raptors and my fandom for the Raptors because he is a huge fan of the St. Louis Blues mm. and how much uh, he was really sort of rooting for them in the Stanley Cup file. I said, hey, man, I, I can totally relate. I'll be rooting for the Blues and for you. And uh, last night I went to bed early, as, as, as I do now with a child. And uh, I woke up at like 2.30 in the morning because Winnie was stirring. And I saw that the St. Louis Blues had won the Stanley mm-hmm. Cup Finals. And so I, I reached out to, uh, to Nick just saying congrats. So I wanted to say that on the podcast because he'd sent some nice messages back and, and forth. And congrats to Arkell's buddy, Ryan O'Reilly, who won the MVP of the Conn Smythe Trophy uh, for the final. He had an incredible uh, postseason run. You know that the, the Blues had one of the worst records in the league in, in December. They snuck into the playoffs, and now they're Stanley Cup champions. Yeah, man. So, and, and Ryan O'Reilly, he, he comes to see us. Uh, we met in Buffalo when he played there, and he's come up to see us in Kitabala, and he's come to Bud State show. Oh, we'll probably see him this this summer. But uh, shouts to Ryan O'Reilly. You're pals with the uh, Stanley Cup MVP. Yeah, we've we've uh, duetted together. If you saw on Arkell's socials, he, wow. He plays a little guitar. Actually, you know what? He's actually become a very beloved dude during this run. Um, he, he loves music. He really does. He's a big fan of a lot of bands I love, like My Morning Jacket and Dawes. And he goes to a lot of shows when he can. And he was at a guitar sh- uh, shop in Boston like two days ago just playing guitar, like, uh, you know, when he had a little downtime because they were playing the Bruins. So that's why he was in Boston. And he just bought some kid a guitar, a Bruins fan. A Bruins fan recognized him and, and they were jamming out together. And he said, oh, pick a guitar, I'll buy one for you. And the guy tweet, and he didn't like tweet like the, the kid tweeted and said, "Holy, Holy shit, Ryan O'Reilly just bought me a guitar." I love stories like I that. I love that. You know, like I like to think like if I ever like won the lottery or became like a super wealthy person, yeah. if I ever had like money at that level, I would do stuff like that all the time. Oh, it'd be such a but fun. But do you thing think do. he did it knowing that like in this day and age, everyone has social media? No, the, like, of course that's where your mind goes, Shane. <laughs> You're such a cynic. <laughs> yeah. Hey, kid. I mean, how but many what, followers what? you got? <laughs> <laughs> What's your social media handle? What? So, but but like, here's the thing. It's like, 
doing things like that really is like its own because like, when I, I think about when I was a kid I used to hang out in guitar shops and if somebody just like was like hey grab that guitar like what is it like 700 bucks 700 bucks doesn't mean anything to someone like you Ryan O'Reilly then it's like that is kind of like that feels good I don't know oh yeah I, I agree I think that would I be mean that's the easy take to, in this day and age to say about anything because of course somebody could tweet something out and I, I think knowing Ryan I really doubt that he was looking for you I don't think he even has social media that, right. That's the thing. It's like, he's but, not a but guy. But maybe so his legend kind of like, it's like Bill Murray showing up at someone's party and DJing it randomly and just leaving. You're doing it because one, it's fun. Two, it makes everyone feel good. And three, your legend kind of. Sure. I mean, may, I mean, maybe the, maybe there's a small part of him that was thinking, oh, this will help like my legacy in some way. But knowing him, he's actually a pretty shy, soft-spoken guy. And I don't think everybody is like thinking with that, like that playing like three, four D chess and, and thinking with a calculated brain. No, I don't. I don't think you do anything really thinking about it. But if on your a subconscious level, I believe that's why you're doing it. But to Mike's point, there is something very satisfying about doing something like a random act of charity. Of course, I'm not saying there isn't. No, that doesn't get any attention. Yeah. And there's, there's been a few things that I've done, not to pat myself, or uh, this is kind of proving yeah. Shane's point, <laughs> that that would never have uh, any social media It doesn't pop up given, anywhere. Given the context. And I feel so good about it. But because you always think one day it may be unearthed on some no, 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 podcast no, no, no. down the no, line. No. I don't think people do no, things no, no, like no, okay, that. Okay, I'm only bringing this up because this was like five years ago. So this is not like something I did yesterday. Right. I was We were in uh, L.A. recording. The studio was a kind of like in a sort of more lower middle class area of town. There was a girl behind me like uh, who was there with her mom. She was like five. She And she really wanted a toy. Her mom, I could tell, probably couldn't afford a toy. I was like, hey, I got this. I bought the toy. There's no way this mother knew who the fuck I was. <laughs> And was going to post it on social media. I mean, now it is making my legend grow. As I yeah, I'll take thing. the bait. Oh, Max, <laughs> you're so nice. <laughs> no, no, but, but, but the point is, I, felt, I, I think about that. I'm like, I felt, I felt really good just to be able to do that little thing. It cost me, fuck, $10. Who cares? Yeah. But it made a difference in that kid. And the mom was probably like, oh, this is nice that I don't have to buy my kid that gift. Mm-hmm. And I totally agree, Shane, that there are instances where celebrities do things going, well, I know this might be a pretty fucking good look. And I think it can be both. I think you can be doing it because 90% of the yeah. reason is also, you feel really good about it. I didn't see the tweet, but based on Max's story, I don't think he went into the store trying to buy a kid a guitar. The kid and him jammed, apparently. So yeah, it's like, right. oh, this kid's got skills. You know what? Let me buy you a guitar. Like, I, I, I appreciate what you do and keep learning. And maybe this. Yeah, you. yeah. The moment has to be right, yeah. or else then it seems really weird. <laughs> He's just in there. He was in there for, <laughs> for three hours waiting for a kid to walk in. He could buy a guitar. Let me pull up an article. John Corrado tweeted Tuesday evening that Ryan O'Reilly bought me a guitar while seshing at a guitar center in Boston. He included a picture. He included the receipt. It does not say how much money. O'Reilly played guitar since he was a teenager and still uses his way to unwind and get his mind off hockey. And, uh, okay, that's the end of the article. But he did. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I thought there'd be more to it. It was a weird website. You know when you you, know when you search something and you're like, and you just hope it's a reputable website the first and time? Then you scroll and it's this huge-ass ad and it's like, it's over already? And it's yeah, like, the uh, website is RussianMachineNeverBreaks.com. Right. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but this is a real... Uh, it was also on Sportsnet uh, and NHL.com. The, for some reason, RussianMachineNeverBreaks.com is the first one. That's weird. <laughs> Google, you got to fix that shit. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. So anyway, that's that. That's good stuff. Uh, congrats to him for winning the MVP of the Stanley Cup final. Yeah. What's it called? The Con Smythe? The Con Smythe. Yeah. Con Smythe. There's uh, some fun, goofy names in hockey. With, oh, yeah. Well, they name them after people, I suppose, but yeah. it's hard to remember. Um, and yeah. Congratulations to St. Louis Blues and listener Nick uh, because uh, all your dreams are coming true. And hopefully tonight... In Game Six of the NBA Finals in Oakland at Oracle Arena, Raptors versus Warriors, we get our dreams to come true tonight. As Shane, well. did you hear the nut is going to Oracle to watch the game tonight? 
Uh, Greg told me. Yeah. So Wait, why do you think they need him down there? You think someone could just send him footage for him to post on his Instagram <laughs> and he could just pretend he was there? Well, part of his job is um, schmoozing the big entertaining clients. Yeah, corporate clients. So that's why he's got to go. He's good at his job. He's very good at his job. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as much as we make fun of Nut, I do think he uh, serves a purpose. Actually, <laughs> that's all anybody wants. <laughs> Actually, speaking of Nut, um, I had a. F- uh, fun little after. We all want to serve a purpose in life, right? <laughs> Seriously, it feels good to be wanted yeah. and needed. Uh, but that's amazing that he gets to fly down there and do oh, it. Oh yeah. I, I will say though, we were texting and he was saying he was a little bummed that he's not going to get to experience it with us if it happens tonight. Yeah. Well, did he message you like, uh, "Can't make it, boys. I'm going to be an oracle." Yeah. Well, he started trying to set up how we were going to watch tonight, and he was really excited. Mm-hmm. And then he like there was a couple options, and then he locked one in, and he's like, "Shane is seething right now well, do because you think he wasn't included." No, in no, I'm not seething because of that. I'm thinking, is this a hockey player situation where he saw the long play like i'm gonna set up a booth i'm i'm gonna be there oh well, i don't think he would i think if he knew he was going to oracle he wouldn't have set us up yeah. i think he genuinely wanted to stay with like watch with us yeah, maybe 90 percent was wanting to watch with you but there was that 10 percent. <laughs> he's like i might go to oracle and seem like a cool guy <laughs> i wonder if he's flying private probably you think they're sending a jet yeah last time he flew private really yeah yeah we're gonna have him on just to tell us his story yeah he's just said- for him well, not just for him. Oh. It was with him and all that. <laughs> he <thing>. really <laughs> is important. <laughs> He's got a beard trimmer on the plane and a barber. Hey, this, uh, speaking of that, this funny thing happened yesterday. Um, so there was this panel for, uh, it was a conference for music industry event promoters, basically. So basically um, event centers like stadiums and clubs from all across North America have some convention in Toronto. And there's a panel that they asked the nut to moderate and it was our booking agent jack ross uh eric hoffman who runs live nation here in toronto mandrash and myself they want to do like a case study on our kells and how you help uh, build a band so uh so i was like okay so we, we we went over to the hilton and um it was like an hour long thing and one of the questions they asked me they i think birch asked me like how did the band get going and i said I was like, you know, I've always been kind of like a keen guy. And I think that's been part of our success is because I'm really up for stuff. And I used to feel a little embarrassed about being so keen. And, uh, but then I realized, you know, when we toured with Frank Turner, that guy's the keenest dude out there. And then, you know, you, you look at someone like Mick Jagger and you look into it, you're like, no, that dude's really keen. And, you know, I was um, hanging out with Dave Grohl the other day. I was like, no, that guy is the keenest guy ever. And as soon as... The, I said I was hanging out with Dave Grohl. <laughs> as soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, oh, that's not exactly what I meant. And I wish I could take it back. I wish I could present it. Because it wasn't – I presented it. It's not, it's not 100% accurate. No, it's not 100% accurate. But I've observed Dave Grohl in, in, over the years through his documentaries. I've, we played with him before, like ten, like eight years ago. And we, you did share a five-minute conversation. And we did share. So that's a hang. That's so, a hang. Yeah. A hang. I'll, I'll allow it. Yeah. And, but and I even kind of made a joke more in reference for the people on stage that know me, where I go, "That's a pretty good name drop, huh, guys?" Yeah, right. But for everybody else in the room, I, it, it might have come off like me and Dave Grohl hang out all the time. Well, see, this is that Natalie Portman Moby situation because someone one day is going to be like, "Hey, I heard you hung out with Max Kerman from the Arkells." To and Dave Grohl, going to be like, "Not only did I not hang out with Max, <laughs> I do not know who Max is." And then it's going to be like, "Max is a liar." Well, I'm getting there. Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> <laughs> so. So then anyway, so I just, I, but I do remember it in the moment, as, as soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, oh, that's not exactly what I meant. Anyway, panel ends. This, uh, this elderly lady uh, named Edie from Baltimore walks up. She's like, 
oh my God, you know Dave. I'm great friends with Dave and his mother. I went to the wedding. <laughs> I like I like I know his wife. Let, let me take a picture. I'm gonna send it to Dave right oh, now. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just like, oh fuck! So we take this goddamn selfie. Well, I took you just it. Commit, you don't come clean. Well, no. What am I gonna do? Just say, listen, lady, I'm a terrible liar. That was hyperbole <laughs> for the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> no, basically, I just had to be like, I had to grin and go with it. Like, wow. I, well, well, no, no. That's the craziest part of the story, no, man. Are you fucking? It's not. Me? They always say it's not the crime; it's the cover up, baby. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Think about this. We just got off stage for an hour, just talking about what a big deal i am and then she goes we got to do it what am i supposed to say no actually i don't know him that well do you think i come clean in that moment some little old lady can know you're not that big of a deal oh no no no, this is how you do it what do you what would you do so so, i I, I mean i was just gonna like take the picture this by the way thinking this happens to dave girl all the time and he's not gonna give one he'll just brush it he'll he'll be like but the truth is gonna come out he's gonna say oh cool who is this no but dave girl deals with this situation some liar like me what's gonna happen the photo will go to the mom who she's friends with and the mom won't flip the photo to dave that's probably how the secret that's exactly how it happened but what i would have done in that situation and by the way do you it's fine i would have been like i'm like like when she's like oh you know dave and i'm like well actually we we actually no, just no, got to have a that. nice conversation i, I was that. at the thing no no I, I gave context i said actually we we uh, hung with dave and his mother we interviewed i do a podcast we interviewed his mom right she's such a lovely lady she's like oh virginia what a nice lady blah 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 cool so so, so i did i totally said that that's all i have to say yeah yeah i thought you, you i thought you yeah. were just like yep best friends take the photo yeah <laughs> no, that's what no, i thought no no, okay. no 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 i didn't do yeah. that no you're more normal now okay. yeah yeah um <laughs> I was just like, what are the chances that someone who has Dave Girl's phone number in their phone was in that fucking room? Yeah, yeah bad luck. <laughs> Otherwise, the, the panel go off well. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, really good. good. Yeah. Who who moderated it? Was it Birchall? Yeah, the nut. As, as the nut as a moderator. He's really good, actually. He he's actually stealing my bit as the young cool guy who swears, like in formal settings. Oh, because I have the few times I've done this kind of thing, I'm like the cool guy who's laid back and says fucking whatever. And then he he came out doing that. I was like, oh, there can only be room for one of those yeah. one of those people on the on the podcast. Like, how does he do it? Well, he's like, all right, we're all uh, having a good time. We're and we're, we're gonna do this, and then we get fucking wasted after uh, the open bar, right? Like like that kind of thing. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah. dang, dude. Speaking of people stealing bits. Oh, good segue. Good segue. Man, I should have had that. Yeah. We have a situation on our hands, boys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if people have uh, checked out our social media, but I will play this. And uh, people at home can tell me if this sounds familiar at all. Warriors, eh? More like Golden State Warriors. Yeah, and I'd be worried too if I was playing a team like the Raptors, eh? Hope that wasn't too harsh. See you around. Okay, so that was a bit from Conan O'Brien's show with a Toronto comedian uh, named Levi McDougal. Ooh. I see this guy around a lot walking the streets. He he may have uh, he may have moved to uh, L.A because I haven't seen him in a little bit, but I used to see him all the time. And he kind of rose to fame for doing the Rogers commercials, where he was the guy with getting the bad reception, and then there was always this good-looking guy getting the better reception. They would play the 2001 Space Odyssey song. Oh, I remember that, that campaign, yeah. Yeah, so he was always like the loser of the, the mm. group. Since works for Conan, I'm thinking he must have gone to a Raptors game, possibly. And then saw you doing your hype up, hype man routine. <laughs> he was Jurassic And he's like, okay, this, this, you know, didn't go over too well. It's not being filmed. It's like people aren't going to be talking about this joke. I'm sure I can 
add a little twist to on how bad this joke is because your joke bombed right so in the conan bit the whole joke is how bad canadians are at roasting yeah so it's a guy walking up to golden state warrior fans doing bad roasts so i'm like oh max did this joke poorly he saw it thought i'm gonna lift it and no one will be the wiser (laughs) you actually think that 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 max is mad that you said he did it poorly what (laughs) no i'm kidding (laughs) no but you think i'm crazy and by the way, this isn't the first time Conan's ripped off a bit from me. <laughs> so to be clear, it's not. to be clear, Shane, you are insinuating or outright accusing them I know. of lifting your bit. I'm saying this is the first time it's a coincidence. Second time. Okay, what's the first time? It's a pattern. What happened the Okay, first time? so the year was, <laughs> I'm serious, 2003. <laughs> okay, and Mike knows this. I hosted a show the called... The Long Con. This is how Conan has developed all this material. He steals jokes from every single comedian but spaces them out. Well, no, here's the sad part. Okay. Conan might not even know. It's okay. probably his just underling. Yeah. So, um, 2003, I'm on a show called Takeover. Yeah, Much Music. In that show, you get to be a, a Much Music VJ for two hours. You get to take over the entire programming. And the people at Much said, Shane, we don't want to lift a finger. We trust you to do everything, write bits, show us everything you got, throw to any video clips you have. So I'm like, oh, this is, this is amazing. And this was back in the day when TV was actually very important. Yeah. <laughs> so I wrote this bit called a VJ 101. And I walk in and I talk to Rick Campanelli. My hair's a mess. I, I'm wearing horrible fashion. I have like horrible fashion sense. And Rick is on the phone and he's... He's booking a hair appointment for himself. And then he sees me. He's like, actually, Francesca, cancel my 1 o'clock. Am I 2 o'clock? Am I 3 o'clock? I've got some work to do. (laughs) And then he gives me a makeover, thus making me prepared to become a VJ. Mm -hmm. Bit goes over great. Everyone's like, oh, Shane, like you were shit on the live parts. But every uh, video piece you threw to, you were great. I'm like, yeah, I know. I was very shit during the live parts. But my video parts were amazing. Mm -hmm. Anyway, cut to next week. Conan happens to be in town. For uh, he was doing a, a thing where he goes to Canada and does a whole. He week did a of, week of shows. Uh, a week of shows. Toronto. Jim Carrey was there. I, I actually got to go to the Jim Carrey show. I actually, well, he he came to much to uh, host MOD one day, and I mm. actually got to do the artist throw. Like, hey, I'm Conan. You're watching much music. I directed that with him when I was just. Oh like, wow! Yeah, I was like, that 20. was a big deal when he came to Toronto. It was huge, yeah. and for me to get to go do that when I was like 20, and I was like obsessed with Conan. Like that was it. That was awesome. But anyway, so he was here for the week. Yeah, and maybe you know what happened here because then <laughs> I was an underling. I literally was just like a unit assistant. I worked four hours a day fetching coffee. So hmm, that's exactly what a mole would say. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so then I actually don't know the bit that he stole. Did he do it on his show? Well, or? So, so I'm watching because uh, I'm obsessed with Conan, as I'm sure all of us are. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, so I'm watching. And then Conan's like, well, I'm nervous about this whole like being on MOD thing. Uh, you guys got to show me the ropes. They cut to a bit. A VJ 101 bit. Instead of Rick uh, Rick Campanelli, it is Amanda Walsh showing oh. him how to be a VJ. They play the same song. They go to the same, the exact same script. So I'm like, what the hell? It's one of those situations you don't know whether to be flattered or insulted. So I'm like, geez, they didn't even ask me. I did leave the script on the table because I handed <laughs> everyone a script. And then I just emailed them right away. I crafted this like two-page email, <laughs> sent it to them. This sounds they, like something you do, yeah. And they were responding to every every email, you know, like they were very cool. Never got back to me. And I think that is the sign of a very guilty person. Well, that okay. Who's responsible though? It's not Conan. No, no, it would have been someone on MOD. Someone, someone in house. Who knows? Maybe he was watching a week before and he was like, hey, I, or one of his underlings was like, hey, I like this kid's bit. Let's let's bite. I that. guarantee you that the much people presented that bit to him. Yeah. 
because they're in charge of MOD. Like, they run the show. He comes and hosts it. He might suggest things, but they're the ones that are like, hey, Conan, do you want to do this bit? And he'd probably be like, sure. that, that would be my guess. Okay, I believe that more so, but it was more of a good segue into getting into this story. Well, hey. So what do we do? Well, I believe story number one mm-hmm. is far more. I feel that this one, the, the, the Golden State Warriors, is probably coincidental. I think, like, I think, I think, uh, 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 Differing minds can come to the same conclusion. Or yeah, yeah. Some, that, that kind of wordplay. It's, uh, it wasn't as original as I thought. I, I thought it was original, but I feel like this is something that comedians have to deal with all the time. Is that it's like something happens like in the news or some current events thing happens and people come to very similar And it's a mere coincidence that this guy is from Toronto <laughs> and that he was, there's a high likelihood he was at that game. Uh, yeah, you think there's a high likelihood he was at the game? In Jurassic Park? Yes. i do but i think it's even weirder that much would just bite my bit i guess this was like before internet was so easy to call people out on yeah the the much biting your bit is more problematic to me but this was also like 20 years ago who who cares (laughs) Uh, well the answer to that question is shane Cunningham. (laughs) that's who cares (laughs) oh Uh, yeah yeah obviously the only one i'm I'm pursuing this though not the much music thing because it's kind of a cold case at this point to you, it is. Yeah. <laughs> you could probably dig, go into the library in a basement and find your bit Ooh. and the Conan I ha- bit. Oh, I have my bit. Yeah, but you could probably find the Conan bit, too, mm-hmm. and back-to-back them, A and B them. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you want that kind of uh, attention, though, you know. We're company, man. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> for, for, for your own I just own want sake. them to know. I put it out in the ether and be like, I know. Like, I've been waiting for this moment for a long time. It's like you with your charity story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you should find the Conan thing. And put them back to back and say justice will be served. That's the copy for the. No, I can't. I can't get in trouble. I think just them knowing that I know is. Okay, like- well, maybe something more relevant <laughs> and to break into the U.S. audience a little bit more is let's uh, make a big public campaign to get a public apology from Conan. That for, would be for good. ripping our bit. Oh yeah, so that'll go over well. Because yeah. <laughs> comedians love being told that they rip people off, especially when you're Conan's level. Yeah. So that's what we do. Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. He'll be desp- he'll despise us. Um, <clears throat> okay. Next topic. Uh, recently in the news, a couple of days ago, we kind of missed this on the first pass, but uh, we we wanted to talk about it anyway just because we did think it was pretty damn funny. Um, Justin Bieber uh, went on Twitter and he challenged Tom Cruise weirdly to a, a UFC style fight. Justin Bieber's tweet was, "I want to challenge Tom Cruise to fight in the octagon. Tom, if you don't take this fight, you're scared and you will never live it down." Who is willing to put on the fight? And then he at Dana White, who's a Bach or whatever, a UFC guy. And then I guess Conor McGregor uh, waited in, uh, goading Tom to take him up on his offer so that he could host uh, the fight himself. I guess Conor McGregor has some sort of network or whatever. Um, so, first of all, I guess... So bizarre. I guess what do we think his mind state was when he was... He was definitely high or something. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like he did salvia or something. Yeah. I don't even know what that means. You don't know what salvia is? I don't. It makes you go nuts for a, a minute. Really? Mm. Yeah. So I hear. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so in this story that I'm reading uh, right now uh, on Lad Bible, whatever that is, was the first uh, uh, result that came up. Not quite as crazy as whatever Russian uh, butt porn or whatever Max Conn was. <laughs> no, that's uh, a popular website. Is it? Okay. Uh, so uh, I guess Bieber's uh, backtracking here. Uh, uh, the Beepster did a pure 100% backtrack going all coy and shy. This went TMC. Uh, as reported by TMZ, he was asked about the bizarre outburst when leaving uh, wife Hillary Baldwin's fashion line office in L.A. He said, man, I was just playing. It was just a random tweet. I'm pretty sure Tom would probably whoop my ass in a fight. Which I'd is ha- true. I'd have to get super in shape. I'm really skinny right now. I think he'd probably be out of my weight class. He's got that dad strength. 
Okay, so that's a good save. Either way, it's just very bizarre. Do you? Okay, so do you think Tom would win in the fight? Of course. Right now, yeah, I, I think Bieber hit the nail on the head that he's too skinny right now. He needs to bulk up like when he was doing that Calvin Klein. Do you act. think? He, I mean, Tom's Tom also Cruise, very a- active. And Tom was like a, not a pro wrestler, but he was into wrestling in high school. And I feel I think like that guy is that. in more sh- is in better shape than like ninety nine percent of the population. Yep. Yeah, and has been for so long, and has dad strength as well. But he is, he's got to be, what, 55 now? Dude does not. Yeah, he is. Tom Cruise, Does, doesn't yeah, look he, like he's older than 30 or something. Do you think you could beat up your dad? Yeah. No. Yeah. See, could I'm you, I'm not you? unsure if I could beat up my dad. Anyway, see, I, I'm bigger than my dad. My dad's older, too. My dad had me when he was 40. So my dad's an old guy. And, uh, yeah, and I'm like 6'1", almost, and my dad's like 5'8". Where do you think you got your height? My mom's side. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom's brother's 6'4". So, right. Yeah. How right. tall is your mom? Five seven. It's oh, good height. Yeah. T- tall for a lady. Yeah. Uh, are you you six one? Just about. Yeah. What are you? Six? I'm six foot. Right. So Max is taller than you. Yep. Yeah. There you have it. Especially when he's lying, because I think you're six foot. <laughs> <laughs> are we doing back to back? Let's do it. Maybe that'll be the photo for uh, today's episode. That'd okay. Be good. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So uh, one of my favorite bits, by the way, is Julian, our friends Julian and Sean, doing back to back. Basically, at every party for the last ten years to see who's taller. Yeah. Yep, and it's Julian, right? Definitively, I think Julian is. But for some reason, there's always like a bit of a debate, and also there's some excitement because everyone thinks Sean. It's is all taller. about gangliness that yeah. can really throw people off. And arm length. If you have awkwardly long <laughs> arms, like I, I'm probably I definitely have longer arms than you, but you might maybe a little bit taller than me. Yeah. So that can throw off perception of height. And so Julian's you, like perfectly proportioned. And Sean has longer arms. Yeah, Sean is shaped differently. Yeah. You think I have shorter arms than you? You definitely do. I mean, I think I do too, but how do you know that? Because I measured my <laughs> arms. And because people were... And while you were sleeping, Max, he measured yours. <laughs> no, but you can look at You look like a T-Rex. What? what? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Dude, you're like, you're like Trump with guy? the small hands. Um, <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't think you have small arms. No, I think everyone, most people, their, their length of their arms is their exact height. So you probably have a six foot wingspan. Uh-huh. I have a six four wingspan. Oh, so you'd be good at basketball. I mean, theoretically, <laughs> at the draft combine. No. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You'd, you'd measure out all right. Would well, you think you have long arms, Mike? My arms, uh, for my for my my proportions, like I think I'm like just under five eight maybe, and my arms go down to like past my my hips. Like I'm like mm. between five seven five eight. Like my arms, I think I'm proportionate for my body size. Yeah, I I bet you your arms are your exact height, yeah. which most people mm. most people's are. And it's like anytime someone has like kind of an awkward looking walk, it's usually they don't know what to do with their arms because mine hang very weird. So it's it's walking for me has always been like, uh, oh, don't look at me. My, my do arms. I have an awkward walk? No, you have a cool guy walk. Thanks. Yeah. Appreciate it. <laughs> but but yeah, we, we should do the arm test as the photo. Cool. I'm into that. This okay. is going off the rails. One of the funny things <laughs> that uh, I like to oh, well, I thought the Cruz Bieber thing. I was like, what are we going to say about this? This is just ridiculous. Well, it's well so we were supposed to talk about who'd we want to beat up. Oh, yes. That's what. Okay, yeah. Let's get Who we'd want to beat up? <laughs> like, if no one can yeah. get hurt, all things are equal. And boxing just, gloves. Just to know, like, who have you is it always boxing wanted? or like a wrestling match? I think it? UFC fighting. Like, let's keep all things equal. Like, Bieber is dangerous. Oh, uh, I wouldn't. I know, I, but no one's actually getting hurt. It's just like if you could enter into a computer system algorithm yeah. and it could just tell you who you could actually beat up. Oh. Who would you want to know? Oh man, good question. Like yeah. you, you and Greg. Would, or have you ever, like have you ever wondered? Could I beat up my brother? Uh, 
No, because once he he got really so when he was little, he's my little brother. He's three years younger than me. Uh, I could like obviously like push him around, and you know you do that thing when you're the older brother where you kind of antagonize him a bit. But like physically, he'd get mad and run at me. But you could just kind of like hold him off or throw him around. And then at one point when we were adults, like we were probably like in our early twenties, we were living together, and he got mad at me for something, and he like ran at me and kind of like picked me up and body slammed me. Uh, Holy shit! And I was shocked. I was like, "Shit, he got strong." I'm like, "I'm not. I'm not going to go there again." again. And but ultimately, like, I don't think I've been in any sort of physical like confrontation since I was like 15. So I don't. I can't even imagine what I'd be like in a fight right now. So or me either. That's what makes it so interesting. I think my brother might just because I think he's angrier. Hmm. Who's got the will to win? (laughs) (laughs) I'm more chill. Yeah. Who would I want to? I I never think about. Violent, like physical violence. Like, okay, you like, and Vance Joy, who's winning? There we go. Okay, oh, it's okay. Yeah, put in the music world. That's a good one. I mean, I think Vance Joy would probably beat me up because he's um, a little bigger. He's bigger. Oh, what about this, Sean Mendez? Ooh, because Sean Mendez very fit. He's fit, but you're more athletic. I, I would. Think. You know, no, actually, uh, your your brother and Dan and I are in a text group, and um, he was like, "Did you see Sean Mendez's Instagram?" Dude has hops. I was like, is he better at basketball than me too? Just because you can jump doesn't mean you can He dunked at it though the other what? day. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was just him like casually dunking. Wow. Like, very Can casual. he dribble though? Yeah, that's the thing. I might still be able to whoop his you ass in one You'll see. He'll be in the uh, NBA uh, All-Star Celebrity Game next season. I know. And yeah. I'll be denied yet again. Because Be- Bieber doesn't look so bad on the... Uh, I'd, try, I'd fight Bieber. There you go. I feel like I could, I could win that one. You think you could beat up Bieber? I do, yeah. Wow. I'm, I, I probably got 20 pounds on him. Yeah, but it's it's not really about weight because if you look at these UFC fighters, yeah. they look ripped, and I'm like, holy shit, this guy must be 180 pounds of muscle. They're like 144 pounds. My goal would be to just kick him in the gut and then choke him out and right. just put my weight on top. I just try to lay on top of him and choke him until he's. But his gut is like abs. Is it though? I think so. No, I think he's just skinny. I yeah. don't think I think he's just one of those guys that happens to look ripped, and if he like works out for like. 30 mm-hmm. minutes like one time a week and takes a picture right after the workout in the mirror he's like oh dude looks ripped but he's like just because he's skinny i have a friend like that uh y- you guys know mark myers he yeah. looks just like a skeletor looking dude who's never worked out but he always has a little bit of abs merely because he's skinny but he's strong he no, plays sports all the time too, yeah right? yeah mark's very athletic and mark's got a like big ass and big legs right like yeah he, he does yeah. yeah he's bottom heavy yeah he is like, but bieber's just like rock skinny you know yeah I'm, i mean i don't know yeah, who, uh, I'm pretty quick too. I feel no, like I, I like could, the prediction. I'm yeah. not saying you couldn't. I'm just surprised that you think you can. I'll throw him out there. Okay. And, and so, so Vance, you think uh, he might? He I might mean, take I, him? Vance would beat you up. Like he's called Max yeah. 2.0 for a reason. Yeah, and Vance is like my <laughs> age. I feel like I might might be able to take Mendez only. I agree. Be, only because he's a little softer. Yeah. You know, not not in his body, but just in his disposition. Yeah. Right. And you have man strength because you. Yeah, have I have like, I have like compared to him, I have like dad strength. Yeah, man. I'm like his father. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? I'd, I'd like to take you on. I think that'd be interesting. <laughs> I'd oh, like that'd to be s- an interesting one. Yeah, I'd like to see what would happen there. Yeah. Oh, man. Sometimes I wonder. See, you get crazy competitive, though. I think that's where you'd probably beat me. Because I'd just be like, okay, enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> just give up because I'm angry? Yeah, just because you're insane. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. yeah. What, what do you think, Just because we play basketball against each other. And I, and I play better when I um, am in a good mood. And I and I'm not rattled. I think you play better when you're a crazy person. No, I just play better when I'm comfortable. When I'm comfortable. No, Be- you get like a heat seeking no, thing no, where no. you're more effective. But here's the thing: I'm I'm way more comfortable if it's like a three on three game. Like I know I'm just good at three on three. If it's a full court game and it's guys I don't know, I'm very uncomfortable. Like I I'm I'm scared to shoot. I'm too like 
kind, I almost can't even get that angry. Mm. And if I do, I'm very ineffective. Mm-hmm. Whereas I find you, it's almost like how you would give a speech. Like you would always give a pretty good speech on, on no time. Sure. For me, I would need to plan and be comfortable. Mm. And that's the way when I'm playing basketball, I feel very comfortable with guys I know. Yeah. So if it was a game where people were watching, you would kill me at basketball. And if it was just us, I feel like I'd have a better chance of beating you. It's interesting. Um, I was playing hoops the other day with John Populus. Yeah, I heard. And we played a five and five game. I hadn't played in a while. It was my first time back on the court. And I kind of played like shit for that same reason. I wasn't yeah. as comfortable. But um, it's amazing how if you're comfortable, everything is different. Confidence a, is the most important thing in life. Yeah, because then we played two on two. And it was just John and I on one team against these two other guys. And I was lighting them up because I was just like, oh, the, the only person I have to worry about is John. I'm not worried about some other guy being mad at me for missing a shot. Or not passing the ball. Or not passing yeah. the ball. Or, you know, And I was way better. Yeah, like sometimes I'm like, I can't believe how good I am at basketball. I'm unbelievable. And then sometimes you're like, I can't believe how shit I I'm am like, at basketball. I'm the wor- like Mike was saying the other day, like we, we were playing with these guys who were actually good players. They like played overseas and stuff. And it was like I had never touched the ball. If I dribbled once, it would go off my foot and out of bounds. <laughs> and then I would just sit on the bench with like a horrible feeling in my tummy yeah. like I'm a loser. Yeah. And Mike and I would be, just be like, let's get out of here. Like, let's never come back. Let's, <laughs> like, you know, that was humiliating. Oh, yeah. You got to know when, uh, when, it's, when the jig is up. Man. Yeah. All right, we were really good. So, so Mike, you yeah. settle this. Who would win in a fight? Well, right? I think the only way to settle is at the next live show. <laughs> Let's get out the octagon and you guys can do it. Or we just do it right now and just film and put on an IG story in just this room. Smash this office up. <laughs> you kid, Max, but I'll actually do it. <laughs> All right, what's next? All right, so moving on, uh, our next uh, topic is uh, <laughs> actor and Canadian, mm. Kiefer Sutherland. Uh, Canadian actor Kiefer Sutherland, the grandson of renowned former Saskatchewan premier Tommy Douglas, is asking Ontario premier Doug Ford and Ottawa MPP Lisa McLeod to stop using his grandfather's name for their own political ends. So if you've been listening here in Ontario, uh, Doug Ford is a very polarizing politician uh, due to his policies and leanings. Um, and I guess he's been sort of, uh, him and Lisa McLeod have sort of been uh, invoking the name of uh, Kiefer Sutherland's grandfather uh, to sort of help support his ideals. And so what happened was, um, Kiefer Sutherland tweeted, he said, Mr. Ford, your tweet has recently come to my attention and I can only tell you that you are correct. My grandfather, Tommy Douglas, was fiscally responsible. In addition to balancing the budget of Saskatchewan, he also provided the province with paved roads, health care, and electricity. He did it all within four years. Contrary to your argument, it was never at the expense of social and human services to those in need. I personally find your comparison of your policies to his offensive. So I can only ask, as the grandson of this man, for you to stop posting his picture and using his name as part of your political agenda. After all, I knew Tommy Douglas, and you, sir, are no Tommy Douglas. P.S. You're lucky my mom's not active on Twitter. Sincerely, Kiefer Sutherland. So he kind of bit a bit there. Well, yeah, that's the famous, uh, I knew uh, Jack Kennedy and you, sir, are no... Uh, so I guess if the bit's famous enough, then it's not stealing. Because it's, it's a known thing that that's what I'm that's doing. That's a historical thing. Well, I don't know that bit. Yeah, that, it, was like a, it was like a thing. It was like a, a Dan Quayle debate. And I guess the guy on the Democratic side, he knew, uh, who was also the vice, running for vice president, he knew uh, John F. Kennedy. So he was like, sir, you're no Jack Kennedy. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where, that's where the quote comes from and everybody knows it, which is what Kiefer was referring to. Cool. So what's the angle here? Are we? Is it that a celebrity got involved in politics? Two, two angles. Number one, um, I'm happy that Kiefer said this because it, it obviously appeals to my political leanings. And I like when rich, famous people get on board with slightly bigger government. And this is, again, just my personal take. The fact that um, he is – and, of course, 
he's more likely to because his grandfather is a famous socialist. He's not just a random celebrity. He happens to be related to a guy who really stood for a kind of bigger government, government being involved and in, in helping make, making people's lives better. And so I'm in favor of that. But my question is that, so Lisa McCloy tweeted back after this happened. And, uh, she said, I used to like this show, which is uh, designated Survivor. Yeah. And she posted a picture of, uh, I'll read the tweet first. I used to like this show, which overtook a very expensive bus shelter ad in the fall of 2017 outside of Queens Park. Alas, it's more difficult to be a politician than pretend to be one on TV. Right. And she posts a photo of a designated survivor, like a um, bus shelter that's all like decked out outside mm-hmm. of Queens Park. So why mention the bus shelter ad? That seems like an odd little digression within the tweet. Well, I think it's her just, just saying that you're like, an actor. You, you're you an You play actor. one on TV. Oh. Yeah, real politics is actually hard, and fuck you, I'm not going to watch your show anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. So my question for you guys is, is like, this is the kind of thing that pisses me off about conservatives, where it's like, okay, this is your response. Instead of going, hey, sorry for invoking your, you're right, like that comparison wasn't totally appropriate, or making some kind of apology, she just doubles down and goes, well, I'm not going to watch your show anymore right. without really addressing what Kiefer said, what his criticism was. Well, it's like was. when LeBron spoke out. It was like, keep dribbling the ball and stick to that type, yeah. type of thing, right? So my question, though, is are like liberals or progressives just as guilty of doing this kind of like clapback in a way that doesn't actually acknowledge any of their own shortcomings? Or is it something that mostly conservatives do? Because I, I'm always interested in like, when do I have tunnel vision when it comes to like rooting for my own side? And when are there instances when actually my side is just as guilty as doing this kind of thing? Well, let's say the it was reversed and Kiefer was on the opposite side and he was like, um, my grandpa would actually love you, Ford. Oh sure, yeah. Would like, you be just, like, "Don't speak on behalf of your dead grandpa, Kiefer"? Like, would you? Be like oh that? yeah, that's a good, uh, good way to put it. Um, yeah, would why? Well, yeah, how would a progressive person act in that situation? Uh, and Mike, what do you think? Well, I mean, this is kind of an issue I think overall with like public statements and the way that we're going as societies. There's no nuance in anything, so it's like it's basically all kind of a PR game. So, yeah. so basically, it's like they say something invoking the grandfather. Kiefer Sutherland jumps in and, and gets a little bit, you know, uh, stands for what, you know, he writes, what he wrote felt very impassioned and like he truly believed it and he wanted to get political with it. Now, and, and also factually true, I yeah, believe, right? Yeah. Like, they're like, this is yeah. what I'm saying. But so then her response, he's correcting though, a wrong. she doesn't respond to any of the charges in the initial thing. So he's trying to, to make a point about policy or the way that his grandfather sort of operated. And then she brings up a TV show and shows a bus shelter. But the thing is, like, that's effective these days. Yeah, but it's, it's yeah. It's, like, is anyone going to hold her to account or be like, "We'll talk about the issues"? Yeah, it was like that's kind of irrelevant to what Kiefer was saying. Whether or not he had a bus shelter outside of Queens Park is but, not. But it, in, a, in a more macro sense, this is Trumpism. This yeah. is the idea that like I'm going to ask you a specific question and I'm going to present a specific set of facts, and then you're just going to give an answer that has nothing to do with any of that without ever addressing the actual questions, and then we just kind of keep it moving. We don't we don't go wait a second. That's not what we're talking about. Yeah. So yeah. this has been happening since he won it's the like fucking election. It's like if the election. burn is good enough, it's like good enough to distract from. Yeah, and else. I yeah. and I agree with this. And this one, my my point is that I think that happens a lot on the conservative side, where but also I'm just maybe maybe we can get our listeners to chime in here other instances when progressives or liberals are just as guilty of doing this kind of thing where they don't acknowledge the full scope of reality or the situation and just want to do a clap back and they're not being totally honest with themselves in the way that Lisa McCloyd was not totally honest with 
whatever the situation was. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the thing that I find so depressing is I don't think anybody's ever being totally honest anymore. It's all performative. Like sure. politics is no, it doesn't feel as much about policy and it's more about winning PR games and it's performative and it's like pandering to a base. And maybe that's always been what politics is, but you would think in the age of like Twitter and sort of more voices and sort of like us being able to grab clips and compare clips. You know, you always see like this now and they'll show like the, the, the hypocrisy. I don't know if it's moving needles. I don't know if people are being like, yes, we do want truth. You know yeah, what I mean? You know what? They just want their views reinforced, so they I don't w- care how they get there. I've always thought about this. It's like I know you have to, uh, you know, protect your own tribe and appeal to your base, but wouldn't it just be so refreshing? And wouldn't it create so much goodwill and actually more popularity if if politicians said, "Hey, sorry about that." Like, it just apologize sometimes. Politicians have such a hard time apologizing for when they fuck up. Yeah. If she just said, "Hey, Kiefer, you know what? Fair enough. Sorry about that." Well, when you make a concession, sometimes it really buys a lot of like, that's a respectable person. And next time they do say that something's right, I'm going to believe them because they admit when something's wrong. Yeah. I guess then the counter to that is then you get criticized for like, oh, here's the dude who's always apologizing for stuff because. No, but you got to pick your moments. Pick your moments. But I feel like. um, I don't know. There's like a moment where conceding or admitting you're wrong let's go back like to an entertainment story hugh grant this is a way back playback uh it gets it gets busted with a prostitute um and arrested for it he ends up going on jay leno and he basically just apologizes he basically just yeah. comes clean and he apologizes for a long time people were like see that's the way you sort of like operate there's kind of been this shift in the last few years where it's like deny till you die never admit guilt this is kind of the trump thing it's like if you never admit you're wrong it's like who will hold you accountable, yeah. and so far he hasn't been held accountable. So people are going to look at that playbook, and they're just going to be like, "Why wouldn't I double down?" No, yeah. like who's holding no, I know. Account? Well, look at um, Al Franken. Like yeah. Franken was accused of uh, groping, so, groping, yeah. compared to tr- like a lot of the Trump offenses, mm-hmm. very minor. And because he was kind of air groping, who, who mock was? groping, he was like uh, doing the "I'm grabbing your boobies." That was thing. one of them. So on a USO oh, did he do a real group? There's people that accused him of at like state fairs when he was doing like politically tours. When he did photos, he would uh, get a handful. Anyway, I just know there are people. On so that's the why left he resigned. That go, you know what? Franken probably did some stupid things that are totally inappropriate, but he was also an awesome legislator and should not have resigned because they actually needed him in the Senate and he was actually really effective of doing his job and actually in the grand scale of things. He, like he'd actually help so many people by being as good as he is as a senator. And when you compare his actions versus what Trump did, we should like he should have just kind of doubled down and denied till he die or just said, hey, sorry, but I'm not quitting. He, he basically just stepped down pretty quickly. And, you know, it's it's an interesting. Well, what, what do you think of the way like Letterman handled his situation when he was kind of cheating on his wife and was getting blackmailed and then he went on TV? Well, he kind of did a Hugh Grant sort of thing. Yeah, right? he was. I thought he handled it smartly. You know, he said, "Listen, like." I but would that fly nowadays? Yeah, or I mean, this, are we these were, were all pre t- pre Twitter things. I always think about that when it comes. And by the way, celebrities are different than. Uh, politicians, I think they're held to a Well, also, standard. there's two other things here. So what you're talking about yeah. is like, well, if the guy's good at his job, then let's forgive his transgressions. I'm not saying let's forgive his transi- transgressions. I'm just saying there are people on the left that go, I wish you hadn't quit. Because, and you're saying there's levels of Because given the paradigm too. right now, we like what you did was not as bad as what Trump, Trump has done, and let's keep it rolling. Well, here's the problem, though, is it's like what Franken did is he's trying to hold himself to a standard he hopes everybody holds himself to. Yeah. So he becomes, he sacrifices himself yeah. because he goes, listen, this is how it should operate. Yeah. I have offended people. I've done something wrong or, or, or people think I did something wrong. So I am going to step down because I can't effectively lead if people feel this way about me or they think that I've done these things. 
The problem is on the other side, nobody uses that playbook. So they all laugh every time someone on the left like sort of valiantly yeah, sacrifices themselves. The yeah. So I just don't know what the fucking playbook is. And what it looks like is it looks like the left with Joe Biden is starting to go, actually, I'm just going to stay. Like, yeah. Because <laughs> no one else is like no one on the right is leaving. And if I can win the presidency, I'm sticking around. Everyone is like, ah, Joe kind of creeps me out. Like, you know, he's he's like he's problematic, but he's not going to back out. But he was just giving like Drake level massages. But the, but the, right? the, the point oh remains, wasn't though, he, was he not I mean, the, 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 it's the same point though it's basically it's like don't acquiesce when mm-hmm. the first moment somebody criticizes you uh, if you're a liberal just go no fuck you let's keep right. rolling yeah. yeah so maybe liberals I think need to get funnier <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well I find that they don't have as good of uh, clapbacks or like the, they need to get pettier well entertainment I've, is what you're talking well, about exactly well usually comedy is a big source of entertainment and and that's what like Trump's main thing is he's Kind of got good comedic timing and good yeah. good roasts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like a liberal will debate uh, a fact with a fact, whereas a more conservative person will be like, shut up, you suck, and by the way, nice love handles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, well, and what that has done is exposed kind of a, a bit of like a, a deficiency or an ugliness in, in us as a people because we like to think that we're ascending, that we're like, well, no, let's have like nuanced debate. But ultimately it's like... <laughs> That guy's talking like me and my friends, like, yeah. and it's like I'm voting for that guy. Like, I like that guy, and maybe it's always been that way, and we know it's always been that way. But it felt like I don't know. There was all these sort of like ideals, and the future was built on like sort of the optimism of John F. Kennedy, and sort of like do not what your country, you know, not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country, and this idea of like sacrifice and sort of like collective. reaching across the aisle, and exactly common ground. Sure. And I think politics can be kind of confusing, and maybe I'm just speaking for uh, myself here, but I can understand a little roast or a joke much easier than I can like complicated political issues sure yeah so and that's why people are kind of like I like that guy just merely because they can understand it people are also people get angry politics is cyclical like there's times where there's liberals in office and they have big money scandals and then people like you know especially like in Ontario and then people are like what the fuck like get those bums out like you know I'm taking a a haircut on my paycheck with these taxes and then I find out they're wasting you know 1.2 million dollars on some weird thing or like half a billion dollars on this and so it's like they're like well get them out and give me the guy that's gonna be a buck well to your point Shane, you know we, we've talked about this on previous pods. Um, so you're saying that conservatives are just like funnier about it, and yeah. So she, so she, she instead of responding uh, with an apology, she just posts a picture of the bus stop. And says, I'm "Not watching your fucking show anymore." <laughs> yeah. Like uh, the, I think the the counter on the progressive side is the more social justice warrior uh, angle, which is like you need to read this study and sh- and you need to see you know what this other marginalized group is going through, and and, and you you that's on you. And check your privilege and that's just not fun no that's not funny at and it's all. very time consuming and like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah it's, and that's what was good about obama he was kind of funny like uh there was that one thing where he was he did like a comedic routine for like an hour once i saw oh he yeah was very good i think i think you're totally right that is what makes obama an incredible politician mm-hmm. is that he knows how to appeal, appeal to people's sensibilities and as much and i think progress happens when you appeal to people's personal sensibilities mm-hmm. and it doesn't doesn't necessarily happen when you attack someone's character or you make someone feel guilty right which i think sometimes liberals have been accused of doing yeah yeah 
So you want to see whose arms are longer? <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get to the interview. Yeah, all right. Well, let's set it up, man. Today on the show, we have Bill Hader. We have not talked. We I didn't do a recap with you, so you're just gonna hear the interview. Do you feel good about it? Yeah, I thought it went well. I mean, it was a phone call. He was in um, Banff uh, accepting a, a comedy award, and uh, so we did it on the phone. Uh, he called in from Banff, and uh, you I got a cell phone number. No, it was like the publicist or ah, whatever the call-in number was. That'd yeah. be cool. Yeah, I just got it on my phone. Is Billy. Yeah. Um, no, uh, so, and you know, we've done phoners before um, for Jason Reitman, and it's always different because you're not in the room. You're not looking across. You know, when you're looking at someone, you're picking up on visual cues. You're like, you're getting your vibe. When it's on the phone, you really sort of, it, it's a different It's a different sort of animal, but I ultimately was happy with it. And I was saying this to Shane afterward, like, it was so weird doing it because there were times, because I had the headphones in, I'm doing this thing on the call, I'm recording it, and there's times where he's giving an answer. And at some point, like halfway through an answer, I actually just kind of zoned out because I thought I was listening to a podcast with Bill Hader. Because <laughs> I've listened to him on so many podcasts that literally, like, his him on the phone coming through my headphones, I almost was like, oh, shit, I've got to ask another, like ask another question because he ultimately is like oh this is just what i normally do when i've listened to him on marin or you know what i mean any of these other podcasts that he he's goes on conan on. that's a great episode on conan. Yeah. yeah and he's just he's a thoughtful guy like he's like i don't know man he's pretty uh chill self-aware um and just yeah it was a good conversation and exactly what you'd think and in some ways it was kind of a challenge because shane and i were talking before and it's like I kind of I've heard everything from him. Yeah. So like what angle do we take? Like he's done a million podcasts. He's been very, very like sort of open about mm-hmm. certain stuff. So, yeah, we ended up talking like a lot about process and, and things of that nature. And he kind of was cool. He just kind of naturally went into like SNL stories and, and sort of how uh, he broke down the work and how it made him feel and oh, compared cool. to uh, his show Barry. Um, and yeah, it was uh, I thought it was cool. man. Are people going to learn anything that they haven't heard already? I think you learn how he feels about how he views the idea of ambition and creative and how those can be juxtaposed because sometimes to make something truly unique or creative, it might not be like a, a something that is, is massively appealing on first blush. You know, it mm-hmm. almost has to become that way. And I, he talked, uh, you know, a bit about how he views that that paradigm and how he operates within it as a creative person. So I think that that's interesting. I haven't heard him talk about that necessarily before. So cool. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you watch Barry? Uh, yeah, I haven't got to the second season yet. Yeah, both seasons available only on Crave here in Canada, so check it out. And after you watch Barry, watch Micah Much in conversation mm-hmm. with Sting, Shaggy, you guys know the deal, Leon Bridges, Noel Gallagher. Uh, Jared Kiso. Jared Kiso. Shane does amazing digital desserts with everybody from... Uh, um, Brent Butt. There you go. There we go. <laughs> yeah. uh, Hayden Christensen. Hayden Christensen. Let's Jason get to this Ross. interview. Okay, geez, you're the one that want to talk politics for 20 fucking minutes. <laughs> You guys want to get to Phil Hader? Let's do it. That was a good roast. (laughs) (laughs) Hello? Hi, I have Phil Hader for you. Great. How's it going? I'm good, man. How are you? Good. Actually, we have a small connection. Last summer, uh, while you were shooting It, I think, me and you lived in the same building in downtown Toronto. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. Yeah. So my wife and I would always see you walking around. Well, yeah, a bunch of the, the cast was in that building. Yeah, I feel like, uh, yeah, like in the mornings, there'd be all the black cars ready to pick everybody yeah, up. Yeah, we all, yeah, to take us all to set, you know, yeah, yeah. And then every sun- Saturday night, the director would take us to uh, A&W, because we would always <laughs> rap at like four in the morning, and A&W was the only thing open. That's hilarious. I've spent a lot of time at that A&W at 
two in the morning on my walk home. And would, you were going to Hamilton, I feel like, as well. Were you shot, shot a lot there? Yeah, we shot we shot in Hamilton for, I think, a week, yeah. Yeah, I was born and raised there, so I feel like this is oh like... Oh, my God. Yeah, it's That's like the cool. story of my life, all of your shooting that summer. So I also wanted to start a little bit with, um, because right now in Toronto, the Raptors are, are on a big run, and I know that you went to a lot of those uh, 2012 Oklahoma City Thunder games when they were doing oh, a yeah. big run. Uh, obviously, they didn't win. I'm wondering if the Raps don't pull this off in two games, if you have any advice uh, uh, for a Toronto Raptors fan. Oh, I think Kawhi Leonard should just, you know, go to the Clippers. I think that's <laughs> the best way to handle it. I think Kawhi Leonard should just take a deep breath and and just say, you know, I think the best thing for me and for everyone right now is if I just go to the Clippers. <laughs> <laughs> You're certainly not pandering to the Toronto crowd right now, which is no, I respect no, no, no. that. <laughs> I want him. He's from L.A. I think he just wants to go back home. So, And that's fine. I can respect that. It's cool. All right, on to some real questions. Um, you know, like you've been a part of a lot of hit movies like Trainwreck. You've done, obviously, Barry's been amazing uh, for you, and then some more niche things like Documentary Now. My question is, as an actor, do you have like a sense of the audience you'll attract before you even start making something, or do you find like the commercial success of a particular project to be somewhat unpredictable? It's a bit of both. It's like you have to be, a, it's a bit of instinct, you know, of what something will work or not work. Um, and, and is it something you would want to go watch, you know? Um, now not everything I've done is something I want to go watch. Sometimes you do have to go do things cause you know, you got bills to pay or sure. whatever it is and, and it's a job. Um, but, uh, once in a while, like an it too will come along where you go, Oh wow, this is a big movie, but this is actually something I would go see too. Cause I, I like the, the first one. Um, but, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's like. It's a bit instinctual, and then when it works, it's a bit of a surprise, and then when it doesn't work, it's a surprise. It's always, I learned it at Saturday Night Live. Anytime we would kind of go, wow, this thing, this thing's going to work, it would be fine, or it didn't work. Interesting. But the minute we would say, well, this thing, you know, Stefan didn't work as a sketch, so I guess let's put it on update and see if we can salvage it that way. And then that was the the thing I'm the most known for from the show, you know, it's like, that was like a fluke that that thing worked. You know what I mean? So it's, you just, you have to just kind of not be afraid to fail, but you also want to take, for me, it's being a, it's a combination of being instinctual, working on instinct and being slightly calculated, you know? Absolutely. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned instincts. Like, I guess ultimately they've served you very well, but have there been times where your instincts have been completely off? Oh yeah, all the time. Starting out live, it happened weekly. Where <laughs> 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 I would think something was really funny and then write it and then just went, oh, well, that didn't go well. Um, or you would have a thing that you thought was a blast and a lot of fun making it. And then, you know, because of the company that put it out or the moment in time uh, when it came out, people just weren't interested in that story. And you were like, oh, that's too bad. I think that's a good movie, you know. Yeah. Um, so, and then things kind of come around. I remember I did a movie, Hot Rod, and when that yeah. came out, people, it got terrible reviews and no one went and saw it and just was, by all accounts, a massive failure. And now I have people, you know, 10, 12 years later coming up to me saying, you know, what my favorite movie is Hot Rod. <laughs> you know, it's like you just, you never know. You yeah. You never know. 
So, I mean, this is always a fascinating thing for me with creatives as well, is it's like, I think in a lot of ways you have to sort of be sensitive or attuned to sort of make, I get, I think, interesting things that relate to, uh, that people relate to. But then also I think that that's the same thing that maybe makes it very hard to not see success with stuff. Are you someone that's sort of naturally been able to sort of brush things off and move on to the next thing? Or do you sort of wallow in it a bit and go, ah, how can I make oh, this? Oh, no. Yeah, no, I, that's the, the best thing SNL taught was how to deal with failure and to just kind of go, ah, oh, man. You know, there's a there's a brief minute of being um, disappointed and then you move on. Yeah. You know, and, and, and never in terms of, um, it, it's like your own personal thing, you know. You just go, man, I wish that would have worked. And then you, and I guess it didn't. And then, um, meaning, you know, some people get mad. Oh, the thing didn't make as much money as we wanted it to, or should have won. Award. We got nominated for awards, but we didn't win any, or things like that. Um, it, those, those, um, those things all make sense, but. For me, it's just an old, my own personal kind of um, thing. You, you just you just hope that people would watch it and enjoy it. Yeah. You know, um, and uh, and if and if that doesn't happen, or it's like, you know, oh, did you see? It? Yeah, I saw it. It was okay. You know, <laughs> you go all right. Yeah. But everything's different, you know. Well, I mean, speaking of things being different, I mean, like with Barry, which you're so obviously heavily involved with, with the way that show is made, how does that compare basically to sort of the, the, the more, you know, SNL can be hands-on, obviously, but then Barry, you're sort of like uh, one of the creators, you are the star of the show, you're making creative decisions. How does that compare uh, as far as like stress and maybe the way that you, you approach the work? I mean, it's, I found SNL to be more stressful because it was a live show and, and we had just a you know a couple of days to figure it out you know and then we were going live on air and it was a bit terrifying whereas Barry we can sit and work on it for months you know I mean Barry all told season two is I worked on it continuously for for 13 months wow and um and during that time you're constantly refining things rewriting things uh, reshooting things in some cases and um, and editing things five different ways and things like that. So, um, but it's all fun. It's all kind of a lot of fun problem solving, but it does leave you a bit. I would say um, SNL is more stressful, but Barry and uh, it's a, uh, you know, it's a difference between running a marathon and a, a sprint, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so the, the you just have to pace yourself when you're doing Barry because by the end of it, you're just like, well, you know, it always is funny. Like, the minute we stopped shooting Barry, um, we wrapped on a Friday and Sunday for the first time in my life, my, my lower back went out. Oh, no. It was like my body just decided to just go, all right, good, we can let go now. Yeah. <laughs> just like, ah! <laughs> So it, that, that'll happen, you know. You know, you seem like somebody that 
is drawn towards sort of collaborative creative. Do you know what I mean? Like consensus, writing with people. Um, when you work with, say, like uh, directors or other creatives that have more of a singular vision, do you find that you are able to sort of toggle between both? Or are you kind of like, ah, I don't really want to do it unless I can have a say in maybe how my character goes or I can punch this up here? Well, it, it, it depends on what it is. You know, on it, too, my character has to be funny. And the only way I kind of know how to be funny unless, I don't know, the best, like some amazing comedy writers writing it, which is, I mean, you know, I don't know what it is, but I mean, I have to be able to be funny the way that I know how to be funny. But I was lucky that Andy Machete, the director of that movie, wanted that too. So he would say, look, I wrote this, but you don't have to do it. You know, we can kind of, you know, here's what I need in the scene. I need you to say these three things because it's super important for the story. Um, and I would go to him and say, Hey, is it okay if I try this or try that? And, you know, but, um, it's, it's all, uh, it's kind of a case by case basis. I would see people come into SNL like that where they had directed a big movie or they own a big company and they would talk to us like we were employees. Oh, fascinating. Know? Yeah. And they could be very nice people, but we were definitely working for them. Uh, not with them. Right. And then you would see someone like a Tom Hanks or somebody who's directed movies, you know, runs Playtone, done all these things, and he was like another cast member. Just came in and was like, oh, where do you want me? You know. Yeah. Uh, Justin Timberlake, same thing. You know, just walked in. Where do you want me? You know. Um, so that was um, that was a good lesson for me. To see, like, okay, just because you're the head of this thing, it's just in this world of Barry. But when you're on another thing, you have to, it's their movie, and they're going to have to go through the, all the process of writing and editing and all these other headaches that I have to go through on Barry, you know. Yeah. Um, and so on other projects, I tend to, you know, I did this movie, Noel, with uh, Anna Kendrick, which is like a, a Christmas movie for Disney. Right. And that director had a very specific way he wanted things read and written, you know. Um, and uh, and so you just, you honor that. You know, I had that conversation. I'll let me kind of improvise stuff. And he was like, hey, you know, I'd rather you stick to the script. And and um, Mark Lawrence, his name, he wrote like Miss Congeniality and things right. like that. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I said, okay. And, and so on that one, pretty much the whole movie just stuck to the script, you know, because he had it very specific in his, in his mind um, and in, in, in how he wanted it read. And then, you know, like I said, it to Andy Machete would just say, you know, try this, you know. As long as you say, yeah, we got to go here. <laughs> right. I don't care how you say it, you know. <laughs> You know, from the writing standpoint, like when you are sort of talking over ideas or you're being collaborative, are you a sort of guy that like gets on a phone call and let's do it that way? Or will you do like text threads or are you like, well, let's get in a room. We have to be in a room for it to have the most juice. With an actor? Uh, as a writer. Oh, we have to be in a room, I think. I mean, it's a bit of everything, but you, you want to be in the room with everybody and you want to be kind of bouncing ideas off each other and, and, um, and a good day in the room is when you feel like you've moved the the you've 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 just moved things a little bit. You know, it's never it's I never expect like massive 
swings or massive things being done. You know what I mean? It's like we'll sit and write for four or five hours and I don't take lunch breaks. You know, the lunches come in while we work because you just kind of want to get it done in one big kind of burst of energy and concentration. And we'll walk away with it with, you know, you know, one day we'll figure out the character of Esther. Right. You know, who is that? And it's four hours of just plotting where she goes and what is she doing and what does she mean to the, you know, oh, it's like a love triangle. And so we're just talking about that storyline for the day. Yeah. We don't talk about Barry. We don't talk about anybody else. Um, and that's a good day, you know. But um, um, so, you know, it's it's just it's just, um, you know, it's like mountain climbing. If you look at the top of the mountain, you'll go crazy. Right. You just have to look at what's in front of you. I ask a lot of um, a, a lot of musicians this and, and other creatives. And there's something interesting about like the muse or, or like, oh, I'll write because I'm inspired or I'll do this because I'm feeling creative. But then there's also something to be said for like a workmanlike approach, which kind of sounds like what, what, what you're describing. And I guess my question would be, are you someone that's able to to, to create even if you're not inspired? You're like, well, I, I have to go and do you it. You have so. to. And you can get I, I kind of don't really buy into that, to be honest. I, I mean, I think it could come in to, you know, at, at various times, you know. Sometimes I feel like, it, you know, maybe it is important for people, but I sometimes feel like that's just, um, you know, maybe being lazy or just not wanting to do anything that day and not feeling like it and whatever. Um, but I feel like even if you spend four hours and you write shit, yeah, you've moved things forward a little bit. You know, you kind of know, well, this isn't working. Yeah, there's value in that. There's value in that of going, well, you know, like we were saying, you know, in the pilot of Barry, we had this initially, we had a whole hitman community and there was a barbecue scene where all the hitmen were having a barbecue and their kids were running around and Barry was hanging out with them. And it always felt weird and wrong, but we had no other ideas, so we went down this path. And HBO was the one that was like, "This feels weird," and we were like, "Yeah, no, you're not wrong." <laughs> and then that, but that shit that we wrote for months and went down this whole road on this thing that we instinctively knew was wrong, but we couldn't figure out what else to do. Just by them saying it's not real. Is, you know the acting the hitman world needs to feel as real as the acting world right i then went what if he was a marine and it's like oh yeah and alec went oh that's a world i understand he's a vet right so let's take it out of hitman let's take it out of we're writing i remember alec saying we're writing genre right now we're writing our, our research is based on movies and not reality right so let's let's go and you know um, you know we watched uh, you know uh, Restrepo and Korangal and uh, you know and and really tried to 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 understand the mindset of those guys and then um, and interview some guys and then go oh this is much more richer and interesting because it's it's in reality yeah. This is a question, sort of a process question on, on the performance side. But I, like when you're working on on an impression, do you know immediately if you'd be able to pull it off? 
I can, I'm a pretty quick study on it. I can either do it or I can't do it. And so like, yeah, you'll abandon it if it's not, if it's not working. Yeah. And it's ones that are really easy for certain people. Like I can't do Christopher Walken. Right. Right. You know, but I, but then there's ones like I had to do the guy from there will be blood and (laughs) it was wrong for a couple of days. And then suddenly it kind of just clicked. Yeah. Um, one like on Thursday, like I was given it on Tuesday and (laughs) they wrote it in on a Tuesday and Seth Meyers wrote it. He goes, hey, you're going to do um, There Will Be Blood Guy, so I guess you should go figure that out. And, <laughs> and um, I did it at the table read on Wednesday, and it didn't sound right to me. And then uh, on Thursday, I I watched it again and tried it again. It sounded a little bit better. Friday, a little bit better. Saturday was, I mean, I had no choice. It was this, this That was what it was going to be. Wherever it was at on Saturday, <laughs> that's what it was going to be. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you just... Uh, yeah, like you're saying, you just have to keep, you know, just keep your eye on it and keep trying to make it better. Yeah, you. Uh, there's a pretty popular video right now of you meeting Keith Morrison, um, obviously the Dateline dude, uh, and you seem very, very excited. I'm kind of always interested in, like, when you do an imitation of somebody, are you ever concerned when you meet them that they're either going to be flattered or offended, or do you just sort of... Oh, yeah. I've, I, I'm always like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't watched that video, but I feel like I said, I hope you aren't offended by the, the impression. I think I asked them that <laughs> but, um But is that, like, an inherent sort of thought you have whenever you're like, oh, shit, there's... Yeah, that. I think people... I, I've offended people before, and I never liked that, you know. And... Like, they, they genuinely? Like, some has someone ever said anything to you? Yeah, I'm not going to name names. I'm not I've asking you to name <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but people, I've had someone come up to me at a party and say, hey, I didn't like that, you know, on the show. And, and um, I just, oh, man, I'm sorry, man. I, yeah, I mean, we were just, you know, I just let them say their piece and say, well, I'm sorry you feel that way, you know. Yeah. Lastly, I think you've been someone who's been obviously incredibly successful, and I'm always interested when people uh, are creatives and are successful, there's this sort of like um, juxtaposition between like you do something because it's fun, whether it's you pick up a camcorder when you're a kid or you write a song, uh, but then there comes a point where it's like, oh, I want to succeed. So there has to be a certain level of ambition, but sometimes that can be at odds with creating something fun and good. Are you somebody who falls more in the spectrum of, I just want to create something and if people like it, great, or are you like, I need this to succeed and I want to, you know, be success at the highest level. I mean, yeah, it's hard. It's, I mean, you want to go with your instinct and I mean, doing a show about a hitman who wants to be an actor, doesn't scream like <laughs> massive numbers. <laughs> right, right. <yeah. laughs> it's kind of niche already. And, and, but those are always the kind of stories and things I liked. I always kind of enjoyed people who just had their little corner of the, you know, playground that they played on and I, I had no interest in owning the entire playground you know yeah um so it is a bit of both like you know that you, you want people to like it you know i think if we had done barry and people went what the fuck is this i, I would have been like we were talking about earlier i would have been bummed for a couple of days and then went all right let's move on you yeah. know but um but i i'm I'm learning that if you could just tell a story that um, that's about people and about um, something that's very relatable, that people will lean into it. You know, um, I think my problem with especially a lot of movies right now is that I don't, especially the bigger movies, I don't find them that relatable. It's just kind of um, 
they're kind of confusing. (laughs) Yeah, it's like spectacle for spectacles. Yeah, spectacle, big high concept things. I'm like, wait, what? Um, Who's that guy? Um, (laughs) But I, I, but I do think that it's good to be. um, So it's a bit, you know what I mean? It's a bit of both. It's like, what, what's the Venn diagram? Like, what's the sweet spot where I can do my own thing and no one gets hurt financially? And, um, and then if that thing is accepted, then, you know, um, that's good for everybody. Yeah, man. Well, thanks for your time and congrats on all the success. Oh, with thanks, buddy. That's it. That's all. That is our episode. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you to Bill Hader for calling in and having that conversation. Yeah. And thanks to everybody uh, who's, who's following the pod, you know, like, it's been really cool to, to see, like, honestly, when I'm in the streets, be like, listen to the pod, listen to the pod. Like, I feel like it's growing, and we, we truly love doing it. So, so thanks for being with us. Thanks for listening. See you next week. We don't die on the weekend. Go Raptors.